First Chronicles chapter 29. First Chronicles chapter 29. I do know that God has been dealing with me about this service. In fact, I'll be honest with you, I start praying about next year uh, when the year starts. I want God's guidance upon this church. And I and feel so humble today to know that the Lord has placed me as a pastor of this church and I do not take that lightly and I know that it's a someone told me yesterday praying for the load you carry I said well I can say it like Bishop says it it doesn't matter how heavy the load is if Jesus is the one carrying it and that's exactly how I feel today hallelujah and it is a tremendous responsibility and weight that I do not take lightly. And I want you to know that I pray today that the mind of God can be imparted into each and every saint of the First Pentecostal Church here today. First Chronicles chapter 29. Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness. Everybody shout greatness. And the power, shout power. And the glory, say glory. And this is the one I want you to really shout it out loud. And the victory. Oh, come on, say victory. And the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee. Thou reignest over all, and in thine hand is power and might. And in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank Thee and praise Thy glorious name. The New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What a beautiful prayer that uh, the psalmist David, king of Israel, prays in First Chronicles. It's a, a majestic, powerful prayer. And it's a prayer I pray over each and every one of you today that you would see the majesty, the power the greatness of our God and understand that with him comes victory and he wants to exalt you above all and he wants he wants you to know that riches and honor come from him and it's in his power and in his hand in his might that he makes you great and gives you strength oh are you thankful for the power, the strength, the greatness of our God that he imparts to you. 
Hallelujah, hallelujah. So today I want to preach from this thought, the anatomy of victory. The anatomy of victory. Could we lift our hands one more time and ask that the Holy Ghost would touch us in this sanctuary. Come on, in the balcony, the mezzanine, let's pray. God, we believe you right now. We ask that your power would be manifested in this place. God, you've been speaking to me over the course of a number of weeks, God, I pray today that I can impart what you've given me to this church. I pray that you would give me a door of utterance, fluency in the Holy Ghost to preach your word to this church today. In the precious, powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Hallelujah. Come on, clap your hands one more time before you're seated. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. You may be seated. Now, I'm not going to apologize. I'm just going to ask you to indulge me for a moment. It's just the way God speaks to me and the way the Lord uses everything to, to come to me. And I just want to share with you a little bit. I want us to go back a few moments here today and look at one of the greatest uh, military uh, minds and one of the greatest statesmen in the 20th century. His name was Sir Winston Leonard Spencer Churchill, born on the 30th of November, 1874. He was a British statesman, soldier, although uh, he wasn't a soldier for long, he had a heroic escape from a prison in South Africa during the Boer War. He was a writer uh, that was unequaled. In fact, when he went um, on the campaign in South Africa, the Boer War at the first of the 20th, 20th century, he was the highest paid uh, newspaper man in the world at that time. He was also the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, not once but twice. He was Prime Minister from 1940 to 1945, which was during the World War II era. And then again, he was elected Prime Minister in 1951, and he served until 1955. Most historians would rank Sir Winston Churchill as one of the greatest statesmen of all time, and that is putting him in a very lofty league. I'm talking about people like Augustus Caesar and uh, Abraham Lincoln and the Apostle Paul, and the list it goes on and on. But for the most uh, part, historians rank him as one of the greatest statesmen, if not the greatest. And from Churchill's youth, he had a sense of destiny. I've read multiple books about Churchill over the last number of years. And what I find is even as a boy, he had this sense of destiny. He always knew that he was going to be something great. And he had only to look back at his ancestry to draw that conclusion. You have to understand that it was during the 1600s that uh, John Churchill, the first Duke of Marlborough, was 
uh, considered the greatest general of Great Britain. And this was his ancestor. He was born in, in uh, Blanham Palace. It's a massive palace in the countryside of England. And, and Sir Winston was born in this place. And so I'm sure as a child he tottered about the halls of this great palace. And he saw these uh, larger than life paintings of his ancestors. And I, I would imagine that that the, the, the lore and, and all of his ancestry contributed to his, his notion that he would be something great. In fact, as a boy in boarding school, he wrote his mother one time, he said, of course, as you have known for some time, I believe in myself. If I did not, I might perhaps take other views. And at five foot six inches, Churchill made up his lack of stature with a bold, tenacious, persistent, aggressive, assertive, militant, and ambitious personality. Churchill was obsessed with one thing, and that was victory. It was on his mind and it was on his tongue everywhere he went. If you do a Google search of Churchill and victory, you will find dozens of photographs of the British Prime Minister flashing the V sign. There are literally dozens of pictures with Churchill showing the V sign for victory. The sign for victory became as synonymous with Churchill as his polka dot bow tie, his three-piece suit, his uh, pocket watch and chain, and his infamous cigar. I want you today to listen to some of the quotes about victory that Churchill made. He said, better to dare mighty things and fail than to live in a gray twilight where there is neither victory or defeat. He said, victory will never be found by taking the path of least resistance. Churchill said, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. Churchill said, you ask, what is our aim? I can answer with one word, victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory. However long and hard the road may be, for without victory there is no survival. I believe that speaks to all of us today. <laughs> Churchill said, indomitable in retreat, invincible in advance, insufferable in victory. He said the V sign is the symbol of the unconquerable will of the occupied territories and a portent 
of the fate awaiting the Nazi tyranny. And the final quote I want to share with you today is this. There is only one answer to defeat and that is victory. I've come to serve notice on the devil today on this January 8, 2023 Vision Sunday. There is only one answer for your past defeats, your past setbacks, your past failures, and that is victory ahead. Somebody shout victory. Come on, shout it like you mean it, victory. You may be seated. John D. Caldwell wrote a book entitled Anatomy of Victory, Why the United States Triumphed in World War II, Fought to a Stalemate in Korea, Lost in Vietnam, and Failed in Iraq. He uses this term called strategic architecture as a conceptual framework to view these various major conflicts in which the United States of America were in, was involved. He talks about this idea of strategic uh, architecture. And that's that term, the definition for that term is this. It's the way that a business or an organization or a military or a church comes together from the ground up. It's the structure that is put together to cause the ideals and the policies and the thoughts and the vision and the plans. Uh, it's, it's the way in which it's structured so that it takes place. It's foundation up. It's starting at the, at the very bottom and working all the way to the completed thought or state or ideal that a business organization, military, or even a church would have. Caldwell states this, and I quote, strategic architectures are more likely to succeed, listen to this now, when policy, strategy, and operations are in alignment. Alignment is the key concept, signaling that these three elements are arranged proportionately so that the resulting operations can be designed and executed to achieve a successful geopolitical result. Listen to what he says. Caldwell says, alignment is the rigorous integration of policy, strategy, and operations. I know I'm taking a little time to set a, a, a groundwork here today, but I promise we're gonna move quickly to where I feel God is speaking to me. But I want you to hear those three things. Policy, everybody say policy. Strategy, say strategy. Look at your neighbor and say operations. It is the essential thread that runs through the elements of an effective strategic architecture. For there to be a healthy, a strong, a vibrant uh, architecture, strategic architecture, there must be policy, there must be strategy, and there must be operations. 
I would submit to all who are gathered here today in this room and those who are joining us online today that in spiritual warfare, the anatomy of victory looks very similar to the anatomy of victory that Caldwell presents in his book. It takes policy, it takes strategy, and it takes operations. You say, what is policy? Well, policy is, you've heard it said, a policy statement or a principle. It is what we, if you will, it's what we believe. It's what we believe about the church. It's what we believe the final outcome is of the church. And I'm here to just break it to you and, and, and give you a little bit of what's going to be at the end. And that is the outcome, the policy of the church is that the church will be triumphant. The church will be victorious. And the church will stand the test of time. And I'll just break it to you and tell you that the church, it made it through all the periods behind us and it will surely go right on through victoriously through what lies ahead of us today. Policy is a course or a principle of action adopted or proposed by an organization or institution or government. It is, if you will, the policy statement. It is the, the motto, if you will, or it is the vision statement of an organization. It is the guiding principle. It is the light that beacons in the night. It is that, that one thing that everybody can attach themselves to and believe in. Strategy is very closely connected to policy. But it's a little difference. The nuance is it is about more about the course of action. It's a plan. Everybody say plan. plan. It's a plan of action or policy designed to achieve a major or overall aim. So you've got to have a policy. You've got to have a principle. You've got to have the word of God. You got to have a policy, but then you got to have a strategy. You got to figure out how you're going to get from A to Z. And the way you do that is you have operations or you have action. Operations is just the fact or condition of functioning or being active. Operations is a piece of organized and concerted activity involving a number of people, especially members of the armed forces or the police. I'm here to preach to you today and lift these, these three principles or these three uh, parts of the anatomy of victory from our world history. And I'm here today to apply them to our spiritual walk with God. Every person in this room today, if you're going to be victorious over sin, if you're going to be victorious over temptation, if you're going to be victorious over the enemy, you must have policy, you must have strategy, and there must be operations for it to take place. 
I can hear my father's voice in my head today. And that is, you're not going to get to heaven by accident. You're not going to just bump into the pearly gates and wonder how you got there. Brother, sister, if you make it to heaven, it's going to be because you were intentional. It's going to be because you had a policy. It's going to be because you had a strategy. And it's going to be because you operated that strategy. I want to talk about Jericho for a moment. It's the first battle of Israel once they crossed the Jordan River. I don't have time today. I could spend a lot of time. We could, we could kick around uh, Israel's history and all the years they wandered around like nomads in the desert in the Sinai Peninsula. We could talk about all they encountered and all the headaches and heartbreaks and and setbacks that they encountered, but they finally got their act together and Joshua led those people across the Jordan River and the first place they came was to a city called Jericho. Now here's the policy of Israel. The policy of Israel was all the land on the western side of the Jordan belongs to Israel. Abraham walked every step of that land and it was because of Abraham's action. It was because of Abraham's willingness to walk in dominion that now it was time for Israel to understand that that land belonged to them. The policy was the land of Jericho belonged to Israel. Now let me give you the strategy. Joshua 6. Verse 1, now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, see, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. And he shall, and ye shall come past the city, all ye men. Everybody say all. all. Say all. Look at your neighbor and point to him and say, that's you. Look at your other neighbor and say, that includes you. All ye men of war, go round about the city once. Thus shall thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day ye shall come past the city seven times. And the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a loud blast with the ram's horn, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people, say all the people. people. Oh, everybody else, say all the people. All All the people shall shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city shall fall down flat and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. This was the strategy. The priests, seven of them, are gonna bear the Ark of the Covenant, and on the first day, you're gonna go around one time. On the second day, one time. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth. But on the seventh day, it's gonna be a little different. You're gonna march around that city, or you're gonna compass that city seven times. 
And at the conclusion of that seventh time around, you're going, priests, you're going to blast those trumpets. They're going to hear inside those city walls a new sound. It's going to be a sharp, brilliant sound of unity. All the trumpets, see, I don't have time to go into it, but but when the priest used a ram's horn, every ram's horn is different in shape and size. It sounds unique. It sounds different. That's the reason why this shepherd's sheep will come when he blows his and, and the sheep across the pasture won't come when, when that shepherd's blowing his. But a trumpet is a different thing. A trumpet has a singular sound. A trumpet has a unique sound. They all sound the same when they're blown. And so... It was, it was God's plan that the priests would blow the trumpet. And as that trumpet was blown, the walls would fall flat by miraculous intervention of God. And then the people were instructed to go into the city and to utterly and totally destroy everything in the city. So we have the policy the land belongs to Israel. We have the strategy. You're going to do this and this and this. Now, here's the operation. And Joshua rose early in the morning. And the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark of the Lord walked on. And they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking about before them. And the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day, they marched around the city once and returned into the camp. So they did for six days. On the seventh day, they arose early at the dawn of the day. They marched around the city in the same manner seven times. And it was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the people shouted. And the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpets, the people shouted with a great shout. And the wall fell down flat so that people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city and listen to this verse 17 and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction only Rahab the harlot and all who are with her in the house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent but you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction lest when you have devoted them you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it but all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. And so, Israel had its first victory. Everybody say first victory. They had their first victory that day. Jericho's walls fell flat. The people were overwhelmed. The people of Jericho were overwhelmed by the Israelites and they possessed a mighty, miraculous victory on that day. But the next place they come to is a, is a two-letter word called 
Ai. And it's the next city. It's the next place on their conquestual uh, journey. It is the next place that Israel is to conquer. And the Bible records in Joshua chapter 7 that Joshua sent them, uh, sent men from Jericho, Jericho to Ai, and which is Bethaven, east of Bethel, and said unto them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and they spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua. And they said to him, now I want you to hear what they say to Joshua. This is Joshua's first military mistake because he listens to these men. But listen to what they say. Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they talking about the citizens of Ai, are few. So about 3,000 men went up from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And listen to this. Israel's hearts melted and became as water. Now I want you to get this today. We're talking about the anatomy of victory. Ai was not a victory. Why was Ai not a victory? Well, there's several reasons. We're gonna talk about the main reason, but one of, the, one of the reasons is Joshua chose to listen to those men instead of listen to God. God instructed that all the men of war would go up and fight for Israel. And instead, Joshua, he succumbed to the pressure of the people. He, he succumbed to, to the notion that war is bloody. War is hard. War is, it, it's a hard thing to do. And it, it, it's time consuming and it hurts and, it, and it's, it's uncomfortable. And, and, and there's a lot of gruesome things that take place in war. And he was trying to spare the people. But I'm just going to tell you today that the only way for victory, the only way for survival is for you to wage the war that's necessary. So Joshua, he's a young man. I guess, I don't guess, I know God knew that he was going to face difficulties. He was going to face challenges as a military leader. Because over and over and over in, in the Bible, we read where God speaks to Joshua and he calls him a, a man of valor and courageous and be bold and, and don't back down, don't be intimidated. And so at this first defeat of Israel, Joshua falls to his face and he begins crying and seeking out God. And he's trying to understand what happened and, and why all of this took place and why Israel was defeated and why they weren't able to be successful in conquering the, the city-state of Ai. And so God began to speak to Joshua. He said, I want you to get up, Joshua. You can't sit there and feel sorry for yourself any longer. You can't 
wallow in your misery and in your defeats any longer. I want you to get up. I want you to call the tribes before you. And I want you to search through the tribes until you find the sin that is in your camp. The Bible says that he brought before him the different tribes of Israel. They came. They were cleared. But finally, the Bible speaks to us and tells us that there was one man. His name was Achan. And Joshua says, my son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them and took them and see they are hidden in the earth inside my tent while with the silver underneath. And the Bible uh, shares with us the rest of the story and that is Joshua sends men, they go to, to Achan's camp, they find those things hidden in the earth Achan is destroyed, he and his family, for the sin and the defeat that they had caused Israel at Ai. I want you to understand today, and this is a very important point I want you to get, the greatest opportunity for failure or defeat is on the hills of a recent victory. Let me say it again. The opportunity, the greatest opportunity, for failure or defeat is on the hills of a recent victory. You see, in my uh, feelings, uh, at the victory of Jericho, the people of Israel uh, got a little puffed up. They got a little uh, feeling good about themselves. In fact, they even told Joshua, it doesn't take everybody to take on AI. It's not going to matter that everybody fights. We just need a few to fight. And they quickly realized that because of their puffed upness and because of the sin of Achan, that defeat was spelled over Israel. I want to preach to you today and tell you the anatomy of victory here today is you cannot allow sin, you can't allow headiness and high-mindedness to ever get in your brain and make you think you're a winner when you know good and well it was God that made you win. It was God that prospered you. It was God that made a way. You want to know why America is crumbling from the inside out? Because we think we are the greatest. We think we've got it all together. But I'm here to preach to you and proclaim to you today that we at the First Pentecostal Church understand that we must have God. And we must live a blameless and sin-free life. I'm reminded of Samuel's words to King Saul upon hearing the bleeding of sheep and the lowing of oxen after the battle with King Agag and the Amalekites. Samuel said, Hath the Lord 
as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Say better. To obey is better than sacrifice. And to hearken, everybody say listen. Listen. And to listen than the fat of rams. And this is what Samuel said, and I've heard it my entire life. Maybe we need to hear it some more, especially these young people. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. You say, what is the, what is the correlation? What's the connection? Rebellion is close to witchcraft. Because rebellion is the same idea that I don't need God. I don't need him. I don't need the voice of God in my life. Therefore, I will take out my own path. I'll decide where I go. I'll decide my destiny. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. People that get stubborn, they they become idols unto themselves. It's their way or the highway. They have the solution. They have the answer. They know best. They know above counsel. They know above uh, preacher preaching in the pulpit. They know above every uh, voice of reason. They know best. And stubbornness becomes an idol in their own lives. I want to tell you today, if we're looking at the anatomy of victory, if we're going to dissect victory, you've got to understand that the one element in that anatomy is obedience. Obedience is paramount for victory. I said obedience is paramount for victory. Listen to what Samuel said to King Saul. He said, when thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed thee king over Israel. When you were little in your own sight, when you were so intimidated by the task that lay before you that you hid yourself among the stuff, that's when God promoted you. That's when God elevated you. That's when God made you great. Never think because you experienced victory that you were the one who made it happen. Don't ever let the enemy lure you into, lure you into a false sense of security that says, I know how to do this. I've got this. I've got the brains. I've got the talent. I've got the personality, I've got the portfolio, I've got the connections, I can make it happen. Brothers and sisters, I'm standing here again one more time to tell you, you need God. You need God. You need God. Zechariah 4 and 6 This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith 
the Lord of hosts. I want to tell you today the reason a widow uh, can be victorious, the reason why someone uh, of, of brokenness, the reason someone of lowly estate can be victorious and be elevated and be promoted by God is not because of what they can do, but it's because of the Spirit of God. It's not by power. It's not by might. It's by His Spirit. It's by His Spirit. It's by His Spirit. I'm going to say it again. It's by His Spirit. Now, I want to tell you today, don't think you can skip the steps. Don't think you can skip the policy, the strategy, and the operations. Don't think you can sit on your hands and watch God perform a victory for you. That's not how he works. You see, people want the miracle moment. People want the divine intervention. People want God to come through for them. But too often we sit on the sidelines expecting God to work when we haven't even done our part. I'm here to preach to you today and talk to you about the anatomy of victory. The anatomy of victory is this. You must do your part. You must plan it. You must operate it. You must work it. But don't ever think all of that will take the place of what God can do. It's God working with you. Oh God, help us today. Help us today to get busy. Help us to roll our sleeves up. Help us to get a tenacious spirit. Help us to be like what old Churchill said. Help us to understand it's going to take blood, toil, tears, and sweat. It's just going to be hard work. But the hard work is worth it when you experience the victory. I don't have the time to go through Israel's history, but I'll abbreviate it by saying this. At the end of Joshua's life, at the end of Joshua's life, there was still about 20% or so land that had not been conquered. Some scholars believe that correlates with the 20%, the half tribe of Manasseh that stayed on the other side of the Jordan whatever, there was land that was not conquered upon the death of Joshua. And another huge mistake was Israel settled for less than complete and total victory. They settled for less than. They were willing to live or cohabitate with the enemy. They made deals. They made treaties, partnerships. In fact, 
the very first chapter of the book of Judges, and the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem. And the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in, in Jerusalem unto this day. Verse 27, neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants of Bethshean or her towns, nor Tanakh or her towns, nor the inhabitants of Dor and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Ablin or her towns, nor the inhabitants of Megiddo and her towns. But the Canaanites would dwell in the land. Listen to verse 28. And it came to pass when Israel was strong, that they put the Canaanites to tribute and did not utterly drive them out. At their strongest point, they were willing to settle for less than what God had given them. I'm not going to bother by going through all the rest of it, but Ephraim, they didn't drive out. Zebulun didn't drive out. Asher didn't drive out. Naphtali didn't drive out. Dan, in fact, the Bible tells us the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountains. So all of these people whose ancestry had experienced victory and had made a great conquest of the land. All of these people, the next generation, were willing to just live with the enemy. They were willing to settle for less than victory. And I'm here to tell you today, the reason you will not experience the victory in your life is if you are willing to settle for less than victory. Let me say it again. The reason you won't experience victory in your life is because you're willing to settle for less. I've come here today on this beautiful Sunday morning with a room full of beautiful people to proclaim and to tell you it is time to fight. I said it is time to fight. It is time to fight. Some of you in 2022, you were content to just cohabitate with the enemy. You just were willing to settle for less than. You saw how big of a battle it was, how hard of a task it was, and you were willing to just sit there. But I'm telling you today in the Holy Ghost, it's time for you to get up and not settle for less than victory. It's time for you to fight. It's time for you to scrap. It's time for you to push. It's time for you to fight for victory. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. You can be seated. I'm almost finished. Come on to the music. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be watchful. 
Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. And that really means in the Greek, be brave. Act bravely. Be strong. I'm telling you, the anatomy of victory is wrapped up in here. You gotta be watchful. You gotta start, stand fast on the faith, on the policy. You gotta, you gotta have a strategy and you gotta be strong and operate that strategy. You've gotta get there, whatever it takes, however hard it is, however heated the battle may be, whatever the, the situation and the obstacles, you've gotta be willing to face it and fight it and to push through that thing. Paul says in Ephesians, verse number 10 of chapter six, I, I don't know how many times I say things are my favorite in the Bible, but today this is my favorite. <laughs> I love it all. It's all beautiful, it's all wonderful. But I, I'm continually drawn back to this throughout my life over the course of my 24, almost five years of preaching, this has been something that I've drawn from continually and continually and continually. And it's found in Ephesians 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Verse 13, wherefore, Take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Oh, come on, give me a little rumble. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. The most vulnerable part of your body needs to be girded with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. You've got to have righteousness guarding your heart and having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Your feet have to be going in the right direction. And above all, I want you to take the shield of faith. You've got something that can come against every dart. You've got a shield of faith that wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet. Take the helmet. I want you to take the helmet. Give me a little more of this mic and a little less music. Give me the, the helmet and put it on your head. Take the helmet of salvation and I want you to cover up that brain, that mind. I want you to know, even when the devil tells you you can't win, you've got something covering your bribe, your mind that says you can win. Come on. Even when the devil tells you you can't make it, you've got something protecting your mind that says you can make it. You've got a helmet of salvation. It's covering your mind. And, everybody say and. You don't just have a breastplate of righteousness. Your feet aren't just shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. 
You don't just have your loins girded, protected with truth. You don't just have in your hand a shield of faith. But I, and you don't have just a helmet of salvation. But you've got something to wage an offensive war against the enemy. You've got the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Today, I got the biggest Bible I could find in my office. Because I want you to know you've got the Word of God at your ready disposal. Every time the enemy comes against you and tells you you can't make it, you're going to be defeated. You're going to be a loser. You can't win this war. You need to pick up your Bible and tell him, devil, I know in whom I have believed. I know I am a conqueror. I know I am more than a conqueror. I've got the book. I've got the word. I've got the promises. I've got the policy. I've got the policy. Verse 18, praying always with all. Everybody say all. All prayer and supplication in the spirit. It's not enough for you just to come here, sign in, and I hope you sign in for prayer. But if you come, don't just pray in English. Let God take it over. Let the Spirit come in. Let your English go to tongues. And let me tell you, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. I'm telling you today... Galatians 3.22, Paul said, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You have been clothed when you go down in the name of Jesus. That's why we push baptism, Brother Fish. When you go down in the name of Jesus, you are clothed with Christ. I want to tell somebody our weapons are not carnal. They're mighty. I said they're mighty. Somebody needs to shout mighty. Come on, you need to shout mighty in the balcony. Come on, balcony, wave your hands. I'm preaching to you too today. You've got the armor of God and you're clothed in Christ. So here's the deal. If you've fallen, if you failed, it's time for you to turn your setback into a comeback. Some of you have become timid. Some of you have allowed the issues of 2022 to cause you to be filled with disbelief and unbelief and your faith is lacking. But I've come here as your pastor today to tell you it's time to turn your setback into a comeback. It's time for you to, it's time for you to roll up your sleeves and say, I'm going to fight again. I'm going to push again. I'm going to pray again. I'm going to shout again. I'm going to church to come. I'm going to come to church again. Everyone, everyone wants the miraculous intervention. Everybody wants the miracle. 
But today you got to make the commitment. I'm going to fight. And I'm not going to settle for less than victory. I was over here praying this week. And it hit me so strongly. When I talk about that God sometimes, when dealing with addictions, that God doesn't completely take the addiction away from you. What I mean by that is, not that you succumb to addiction, but that God helps you to fight against it. You see, we're all flesh. We're all weak. If we stop praying, if we stop, if we stop uh, letting the Holy Ghost regenerate us and renew us and give us strength, we'll all succumb. We'll all fall away to some type of sin. So when I say God doesn't necessarily take that addiction away from you, I'm not saying you can't have victory. What I am saying is that you've got to fight every single day. It is time for you to have victory. I'm here to preach and proclaim it to somebody here today. Victory is your destiny. I said victory is your destiny. Let me say it for the people in the, the balcony. Victory is your destiny. I was sitting on the platform of Brother Booker's church the first of November. I've been praying about this year. Fasting, seeking God, asking Him for a word for this church. I don't take this lightly. I don't take a theme or a vision for the church lightly. I've been praying, seeking God, asking Him. I was sitting in my seat they, I was sitting out in the crowd and they had me come up to the platform. And I don't like to do that, but I did it. And I was sitting there in the row with other preachers and I watched as my dad, our bishop, got up to the platform. They had him say something. And the first thing he said was, the devil. The devil is a liar there have been people laugh at that statement there have been people mock that statement there have been people ridicule that statement but the truth is our policy is the devil is a liar (laughs) and you know what that means if he's a liar everything he's told you is a lie He said his other famous word. He says it better than Winston Churchill. I don't know. Did you get a victory? Do it again. Victory. He said victory. Victory. And as I was sitting there, the Holy Ghost came on me and tears began to fall down my face. And I knew at that very moment that 2023 was going to be the year 
of victory. It's going to be victory over addiction. It's going to be victory over fear. It's going to be victory over sin. It's going to be victory over jealousy. It's going to be victory over strife. Victory over unbelief. Victory over confusion. Victory, 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 victory. First Corinthians, I started with it today. Verse 15, verse 57 of chapter 15. But thanks be to God, which giveth. Everybody say giveth. You know what I love about that? That E-T-H on the end that has a continual effect on it. The Lord which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to tell everybody today, 2023, 2023 is the year of victory. Victory in 23. Victory in 23. Victory in 23. Let me tell you what we're gonna do. We're gonna take Churchill's sign and every problem you encounter, you're gonna wave your hand and say, I believe God's gonna give me victory. When I face the waters, he's gonna part them. When I come to the mountain, he's gonna make a way across it. I'm gonna get over the mountain. Come on, come on. It's time for you to shout. It's time for you to accept it. It's time for you to realize it. Victory in your life. Victory in your family. Victory in your job. Victory in your school. Victory in your mind. Victory in your heart.
neighbor. Proclaim it of your spouse. Proclaim it of your family. Proclaim it. Victory. shouting victory in 23 back at me but let me tell you we're shouting about the victory but it's going to take hard work some of you you're going to have to be committed you're going to have to tell the enemy no when he comes tempting when he comes knocking you're going to have to tell him no let me tell you what else you're going to have to do you're going to have to let the word of God and the man of God and the voice of God through the man of God speak over your own intellect. Hey, you'll never be too smart for a preacher. You'll never be too smart for the word of God. This word must be, it must be press, it must take precedence over everything else. It's got to be priority number one what the Bible says and what the man of God said. Hey, I'm not going to lead you off into something. I'm not going to preach something that's not in this Bible. And let me tell you something else. I just want to tell you, we're going to hold fast to the traditions of our forefathers. And they're principled in the Word of God. Well, you can shout just as much about that as you can victory. But if we want victory, we're going to have to fight. We're going to have to work hard. Young young men, you want victory? You're going to have to roll your sleeves up. You're going to have to work hard. Young ladies, you want victory? You're going to have to put in the effort. You're going to have to be committed. Young married couples, you want victory? You're going to have to be committed. You can't miss church. You got to be here. You got to be involved in church. You got to let God touch you. You gotta pray till you pray in tongues. You gotta pray till you pray through. I'm telling you the anatomy for victory. You can have victory. I wish you'd shout it. I wish you'd shout it. Victory in 23. Victory. Tell the devil. Let the devil hear you say it. Let the devil hear you say it. Let the adversary hear you say it. Victory. Victory, 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 victory.
turn to someone and I want you to prophesy to them that they're going to see victory in their life you have you have the right as a child of God come on victory come on it's victory victory ahead victory ahead victory ahead God bless you we'll see you here tonight Let's come believe in God for great things, 7 p.m.